Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. My name is Jack McLean, I'm the host, and today's episode, I interview Don Scott. Don played over 300 games for the Hawthorne Football Club, a three-time premiership player, two of which he was captain, inducted in the AFL Hall of Fame, team of the century for the Hawthorne Football Club and founder of the company Operation Payback, which was instrumental in preventing Melbourne and Hawthorne from merging. Highlights from this episode, we talked about the importance of using constructive feedback from mentors to improve yourself in life, business and football. Don's ABC strategy, which was developed from senior coach Kennedy for getting better as a player. Don's experiences in media, commentating the Channel 7 games, business and horse training. How his business managed to prevent the merge between the Melbourne Football Club and Hawthorne. Before we start this episode, for those wanting to improve your 2K time trial and gain a competitive edge, hire Prepare Like a Pro Coach and join our individualised coaching program. You can join our email list to receive a two-week free program and a free masterclass presentation, all up valued at $99. Let's get into today's episode. Thank you, Don, for coming on today. Good, Jack. Thank you. It's good to be back in the You Cannot Be Serious studios. <laughs> you guys have just... Oh, yeah, this will be more... So this will make more sense, I hope, than what that does. Yeah. I don't know what we say half the time. Oh, that's the thing I forget. As soon as I walk out, that's it. You guys are smashing some content. I've just walked in, guys, to the studio, and they've already had four episodes. So if you're not following the podcast, make sure to follow You Cannot Be Serious with Sam and, and Don, and I've been lucky enough to have them on. But we'll start at the very beginning of your story, mate. Where did you play your, your junior footy? Well, I played at uh, school. Um, played. I wasn't good enough. I tried out at Blackburn under-16s as a yeah. young boy and uh, wasn't good enough to make that team. Um, I don't know, I said probably in third form. Um, what's that, year nine now? So then I went down to Box Hill, Box Hill under-17s a year or two later. Yep. Uh, they weren't a good team. They played in the Melbourne Boys League against all the league teams. All the league teams back then had eight fourths, mm-hmm. which was about under-17, and Box Hill never won a game. We used to get thrashed each week because all the best boys would go down to a league club hoping that it would be their entree through the thirds and the seconds and the seniors. Yep. Um, but I got into a bit of trouble at home with my father and he said, you're not playing football. So the only time I could play was at school and and back then uh, school competition was much more organised. I went to a high school and we played all the various schools in the district high school and I was lucky enough to be spotted by scouts, um, Hawthorne and also Richmond uh, whilst I was playing one of those games. So I was just lucky that I was johnning on the spot. And why didn't, that's interesting, why didn't your dad want you to play the game? <laughs> well, it's called punishment. Yeah. I used to get into a bit of trouble at home and um, it's a bit different nowadays. I don't think fathers are, uh, yeah, yeah, society is different. Let's just say the society is much different yeah. to what it is now. And um, so there's this way of discipline. Yeah, this is discipline for me and yeah. uh, there were many other types of discipline handed out. 
Yeah. And uh, yes, yeah, so that was a way of parenting in those days, or his his mode of parenting. Yeah, and and on that note, um, I know from doing a little bit of research before doing this episode, you were big into your horse riding at a young age. I believe at seven years old, you yeah. would ride a horse every day. Well, that's yeah, I did, and again, I suppose that's the father's influence. If you have horses or animals, you've got to look after them. Mm. And these horses are in the paddock, and you just can't leave them in the paddock. They've got to be exercised, and uh, and also the fact that we were competing. I was competing at shows and various events and whatever else. And so, just like any athlete, you had to um, you had to keep them going. Yep. In fact, you know, through the whole, you learn through your life. And I do remember being very naive and competing in a one day event at Flemington Racecourse. And my pony came in after the cross country in a lather of sweat. Now I was naive, didn't know about fitness i was only young about 12 mm. and i got a serve from the steward a real bait uh, a real bait and uh, that held me instead for later on especially with regard to football if you're going to do something do it properly well the following year i remember that bake and that horse we competed again in the same event 12 months later yeah. and that horse was jumping out of his skin because i took him up to the orchards in doncaster i lived in box hill and I got him really fit, so fit that he was just bouncing and uh, he, he wouldn't blow out a candle at the end of the cross country and he did particularly well. So mm. that I took, you know, lessons in life and I remember that one, that indelibly because I got, she, she, she gave me a serve. Yeah, and, right. uh, I so just, responding to feedback. Well, feedback, uh, negative yeah. reinforcement, I suppose. <laughs> but, but again, that's the way society was. You, did, you weren't complimented, you know, you were told if you did something wrong, same with coaching or anything you know it's just different everybody wants positive feedback now you know anyway that's that is society and and i i think yeah i'm i'm at odds with it i'm at odds with it because i look at the negatives and try and fix the negatives i can't see what what's the point of looking at the positives the positives are there and they seem to come along naturally Mm. but you've got to look at the negatives to make yourself better so i'm more that way inclined yeah yeah, so that's a, it's a good for, for the athletes tuned in that want to get better, um, responding to negative feedback in that manner where it's, you know, like you said, it, it was um, a shock to the system, but it put you on a good path. So it's quite a... Well, we didn't question either. Yeah. And again, society was different then that we respected our peers and especially older people. And, yeah. uh, you know, and when an older person said something, you never questioned them. That yeah. was just the way that we were brought up. But nowadays... There seems to be this questioning all the time, mm. whether it's good or bad. I think mm. you, as a, and I still am learning. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, there are not enough people, especially with the horses. I'm involved with horses. I just hung on the words of older people who had experienced and worked with horses in their life, yep. and I li- still listen to some people who've had that connection because you can still learn. Mm. You know, you don't question, you learn. You should always be a bit of blotting. I personally blotting paper, taking stuff in from people that you respect. Yeah, and that have experience in it, it makes a lot of sense. And like you said, the things that are going well are going well whether you're talented in it because you've found, you know, a good recipe and that, that success leaves clues, so you're onto something. So if by focusing on the areas that aren't going so well and putting energy into that allows you to be great and successful in that pursuit. Well, you've got to be analytic. And you've got to be very honest with yourself mm. and know you and and, and know, know yourself as an athlete. If we're talking about an athlete, I don't think it, even in business, yeah. you've got to compliment yourself. I've been in business and I've 
self-employed since the age of 21 yep. and 22. And so you've got to know yourself and compliment yourself because yes. you, there's not the person around who is the perfect individual, perfect athlete, perfect individual, perfect businessman. You've got to compliment, know your strengths and then compliment them or back your weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. It's great. Um, for those tuned in, there's some gems to, to write down. So having that, if you feel like that's something at Propelica Pro we do, we have a get better plan uh, where you've got a focus of an area that you're attacking and, and that's a great way to, to go about it. Is and, that, and that's actually something we had on the podcast yesterday, talk about your limiting factor and attack that one limiting factor. So what's holding you back the most and top top that up. So on that, on that note of people that have experience and that you respect that, you know, that are either older than you or they've just got more experience in that area. Um, had it from a football point of view, did you have mentors or influences in your game early on? Uh, and who, if, if so, oh, well, it depends on what area you're talking about. If you give us a specific area, because it, even in football, you break it down. Mm. Um, it's just not just not one thing. There are many aspects to football, yeah. And depending on where you want to start. And, I just basically, in my case, uh, I got it down to, I believe, ABC, and I based all mine around, you know, what is the game you're playing? It's you've got to get the ball in in, in football. Mm -hmm. You've got to get the ball. You've got to do something with it. Mm -hmm. So they're pretty basic. So all my training was around getting the ball, and there's many different ways, and you complement that by, a lot of things, speed, strength, and, and whatever else to get the ball, and then you got to do something with it. So it comes to, to skill or, or executing. You still need strength. You still need speed to do something with it. But also you got to recognise there's an opponent, yeah. and he will get the ball and he will do something with it. So you've got to limit that as well. Yeah, ABC. So, so oh, they're, yeah. they're my three ABCs, but yeah. those ABCs yeah. also related to my training. How do I make myself better in getting the ball, doing something with it, and restricting my opponent? So that could come back to speed, endurance, yep. strength, concentrate, whatever, positioning yep. uh, on the ground. And, uh, yeah, and, and so that's what it always came back to. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, so for those listening in, so, so ability to get the ball, ability to do something effective with it for the team and then what about the competitive side so is that analyzing who you're going to play and how well, the competitive the side goes across the whole the whole thing you know yeah. if you're competitive in all of those things but you know you're yes you've got to then allied to that if you're playing against or a team or a an opponent yeah. you've got to be able to break that opponent down yep. and say, is he strong, is he strong strength or what, whatever else? And then yeah. you've got to be able to counter that. Yep. Now, if he's particularly strong in an area, you know, you've got to offset that because uh, that might be a weakness with you. So you counter if he's got height and you've got, uh, you know, if it's a difference in height, you might use your mobility yep. against his height. So yep. you'll run him around. Well, it's a simple thing, you'll run him around. Fatigued, yeah, yeah, or run him around, or, or make him run faster, or you're, you're quicker than what he is. Yep. But you know, if he's taking, for example, say he's tall, he's taking a mark. Well, you've got to be able to punch the ball away. You've got to limit him too. Yeah. So you work on that. You don't get caught behind. So they're the intricacies of the game. And how did you come up with that ABC philosophy? Well, I suppose I learned it again. Learned it, and I had a coach uh, in John Kennedy who yep. was very basic in his training. Um, and so I learned those things from him. Mm-hmm. You know, then you have another coach that influences you with regard to skill, and that that you know, I suppose Parkin to a degree, David Parkin. 
So, but then you look and I listen to other athletes. I remember Jeff Hunt, who was a world champion um, squash player, won a lot of squash tournaments through the 70s. And he was talking about his training and how he went one year just too much strength as against the skill of Mm -hmm. squash or fitness as against skill, you know, the skill of playing the game. And again, I can relate that to, you know, I ran or pro run, ran over, so, you know, well, I concentrated too much on that. So I I was quick enough, but I didn't have the strength. So it's a matter of getting the balance, listening to people and taking a bit. You might only get one little thing and you take that and put it in. But it takes a while to accumulate all of this knowledge that you clean off other people and put it together. Yeah. And that drive to get better and, and be your best. Did that was that something that was instilled in you from a very young age? No, I think it depends on your circumstances. I saw this as my way out. I, you know, my sport was uh, was football. Yeah. And back in Melbourne in those days, you had cricket in summertime and you had football in winter. Yeah. It's not the you know basketball wasn't big, soccer wasn't big, but those were the dominant sports. They were the dominant sports for men. Mm. You know, football in winter and. And there were the other sports didn't receive much kudos, swimming or, or athletics or whatever else. Yep. And so, and being a very small place, Melbourne, I could see, you know, what publicity it attracted with regard to the television and the, and, the, and, the, and, and the newspapers, the coverage it received. And I wasn't a particularly gifted at uh, academic or ath- uh, a scholar. Yeah. So I could see that this could open up doors. Yep. And it certainly did. So that was my way. Oh, you know, and that's why I was, I suppose, hungry, or I really did want it was like a football to get to my to 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 open up my life and and get me things that I couldn't get in other like uh, academically, I couldn't get it, uh, but I could get things through football. And I used it in my business mm-hmm. because of the exposure that you received. Yep, but that's what drove me um, to to try and do the best I certainly could. Yeah. And the you know for, for for the young athletes listening in that are in that similar age, you mentioned you were playing a lower level than some of your other peers at your age at Blackburn, um, and, and then Box Hill in the in the fourth. So how did you turn that into then getting drafted, like and getting interested? Well, again, a, again, and this is a this is a problem, and it it still does exist. Mm. It's a, a problem, and I see it with horses, animals, mm. because I train horses, and some of them don't mature at the same rate. Right, as yep. what other people, and unfortunately, we've got a system now where boys are selected at fourteen. Mm-hmm. Now we all mature at different levels. Okay, somewhere you know, I certainly remember starting to get physically strong at twenty. Although I was pushing weights from the age of eighteen, yeah, you know, I really started to, you know, take some bang when I was at at the age of 20. So that was just a logical physical progression. Yep. And it got better, you know, up to the age of 30. Yep. Now, boys, and I've, I've seen it so many times that they, you know, these good kids at 14, you know, mm-hmm. they represent, back in my time, represent the state. They're pl- doing this, playing extra, and you think, geez, what's wrong with me? But if you just let it evolve and you've got to look at the parentage and the body shape and all of that stuff, yeah, and sadly, it still does exist that these boys get pigeonholed at fourteen. They go into these squads, then they go to the under 18s and it's not giving fellows that are playing elsewhere an opportunity. And mm. 
the recruiting people and the football people are not willing mm. in a lot of cases to give that, you know, it, it takes somebody on that is a late mature. Late developer, yeah, late yeah. mature. Yeah, it's such a good point. And, then, and what do you think we could put in place to help accommodate those programs? So there would be some athletes listening that aren't in the... You know, what are you talking about, athletes athlete. or footballers? Uh, for, for, for footballers, yeah. Okay, for footballers, I think I would certainly go back to a, a, a system where you know, they cut out the under they cut out the thirds and they've reduced the seconds at football clubs. Now they got rid of the thirds back mm. in the nineties because mm. of the cost factor. Yet football clubs are now running women's teams, disabled teams, yeah. as well as senior teams, and they've got a few blokes who go off and play second or second rate football to the reserve grade players. Yep. I personally can't see why. You know, their primary concern is the men's team winning a premiership so consequently i would go back to thirds seconds and 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 and, and senior team by doing that you uh, you can take a player up as i do with my horses you yeah. you put them in a, a, a competition and only it happened when i was at hawthorne you'd put a guy into the second who perform well in the thirds for a couple of you know games oh let's see what he can do in the th- seconds yeah what do you mark and let him get exposure. I'll then see if he can develop. He might have to go back. I'll jump my horses over a certain height or a competition, then I'll take them back. Yeah, you know, yeah. you, you extend them. Process, yeah. yeah, you extend them, but you don't want to frighten them, so you take them back again. Yeah. Then you go again. Yeah. So it's all in, it's all how they are mentally, physically, and, and whatever else. And it's the same with, you know, footballers. Yeah. And, I, you know, uh, and if you've got that third competition, you know, where the club's, are uh, 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 looking after it, well, they will go and look for boys that are playing in an underage competition, under 16s at the local club, yep. and will uh, invite them down. That's the way I think it should be done instead of specialising and pulling these boys out, select boys, and putting them into the Oakley Chargers or the Dandenong Stingrays or wherever yeah. it be, Western Jets. Yeah. They're pigeonholed. Yeah. So, I mean, there was the Development League a few years ago when I was working at Box Hill. Um, which was great, and and that that easily could happen. So you got your Eastern Rangers, which are from that region, and then you got your Box Hill Senior Men's that have a relationship with. But a lot of those boys that came from the Eastern Rangers into the development team had already been tried. I'm yeah. talking about boys that might be playing at Mitcham or Donvale right. or Croydon. Yeah, you know that I haven't just quite got the, got through into the Eastern Rangers squad. Um, so there'd be Eastern Rangers, and then there'd be a, a thirds team that's part of Box Hill. Well, you know, I'd get rid of the Eastern Rangers, full stop. Yeah. You know, I, I think I'd get rid of that and I'd just wait and take it another, I said, under-19s. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, picking out boys at 17 or 16 is is not on. I yeah. watched when I was playing in the under-19s, for example, and six months, you mm. know, boys that I played with one year, the next year they were no good. They went off because other boys had caught up. And yeah. the maturity, it's interesting how how, how boys mature and yeah. change. In six months, a player can go off yeah. and a player can come on in that six months over the, over, over the season. Okay, so that, that, so basically play with your local club? Well, that, to, yeah, it could be. Well, that's what I think the structure yeah. should be, but, yeah. you know. Yeah, and then that would be giving back to grassroots as well because they're not losing their talented players. Well, all of that, that all of that. And if a boy is any good, Mm. Now, I follow Sorrento. Now, if a boy is any good, mm. at 17, he'll be playing in the senior team, yeah. in, a, in a men's team. Yeah. And he will learn more in that senior team than what he will playing in an under-16 or 17 team. I've seen boys 
selected, you know, in this these squads that under a you know stingrays or whatever else come back and play senior footy in the country. Yeah, no good. Yeah, you know, if they were to learn, and then it's much easier in selection. Yeah, you know, the AFL clubs come along, so oh, this boy's playing senior men's football. Oh, let's give him a go. Yeah, and, and you think that would help transition from. An eighteen-year-old playing against eighteen-year-old boys. If you're getting oh my word, because you've got to move quicker. You've got to move quicker. Everything's got to be done a little bit quicker. Okay. Yeah. Even the step from you know from you know say you're playing AFL football or VFL in my day, then you go and play state football. Mm. Well, the tempo went up a little bit more from ordinary home and away games where the competition was pretty stiff amongst it. But then you're playing against the elite, yeah. you know, from interstate football, well, the tempo just increased and took another level. Yeah. And so if you go back, you're playing against men, you've got to increase. You've got to get rid of the ball quicker. You've got to be a little bit stronger. You've got to do everything just that little bit quicker. Yeah. And so that's what I'm talking about, adjusting and, and get acclimatised, come back, go again, see what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's great. Good philosophy and, and, and really important for, for those listening in the, the mental game, and like you talked about, get exposed, be stretched, and be challenged, but then also the importance of having confidence as well. So you might bring the horse back or the athlete back, get their confidence back up, and then you know, it's a process. Well, my, in my case, I didn't realise, and I was only told on my 17th, 70th birthday, mm. the reserve grade coach, Maury Considine, who coached me. I was a boy of uh, 18, and I got into the seconds at Hawthorne. My first game was against Collingwood yeah. at uh, Victoria Park as an 18-year-old boy straight out of school, never played against men, and I was playing against a man called Ray Gablick who'd played a lot of games and was a monster. I mean, he had to be 17 stone, and I'm 13 and a half stone in the ruck. Yeah, right. Now, he played with me. It was just like a man. He just played with me, yeah. and I didn't understand, and I realised I'd played badly, and I accepted that I'd have to go back into the under-19s the following week. Yeah. Um, but the coach told me, unbeknownst to me, that my father had rung the football club and said that boy's not allowed to play in the seconds again for the rest of the year. Now, I, he didn't tell me this, mm. and I went back to the under-19s and, you know, I was doing pretty well. And But boys were being elevated from the under-19s in the seconds. I couldn't understand why. I was always asked, ring your father up, see if he'll let you play in the seconds. Couldn't understand why. So I played under-19s for one year, Yeah, you know, so that, you know, so I didn't play against men, but it gave me, but the following year I made the seniors. Yeah. So that's what I'm From under-19s, missed the seconds, went straight to the seniors. Yes. The following year, yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's, you know, when you're physically capable of doing it and some yeah. people are like that. Yeah, yeah. But that game where you did play against someone who was, yeah, a man, and you're still developing. Yeah, you know, in, in, boy. In, as a boy, did you think you needed that experience, like the woman that gave you that strong feedback? Oh, uh, horses. Like, did you need? Well, that I suppose yes, it did. It showed me what I had to do yeah. if I was going to come up against. Yeah, men. I yeah. Was, they, these were these were top flight like wake up Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, they were mature. I was only eighteen, nineteen, and yeah. I was nowhere near as strong as what those fellows were. So it did make me go back and work harder. Yeah. Yeah, if you want. Oh, well, I wanted, I wanted to do a gene. Yeah, yeah. So it's a great story of, you know, it can't be easy early on. You want to have big challenges, and then you got to get, you got to set steps. I also believe that you've got to set challenges for yourself that are attainable. Yeah, it's all very well aiming for the top, but mm. to get there, there's got to be steps. Don't set ambitious steps. Set steps to set 
targets or challenges or steps that you can mm. achieve. Mm -hmm. Okay, and just keep working on that yeah. to get to the ultimate goal. Yeah, get to the dream. Yeah, small goals along the way. And how how would you got for, for those listening in? How would you set those? Do you write them down? Do you just sort of no? I just yourself? put it in my mind. I, I know exactly what I want. Yep, I'm not a person to sit down in the book and write things down, but I know exactly what you're working on. What I'm working on. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, and then so you mentioned that so you got you were into the Hawthorne team at that time. How was the team going from? Well, we're preview? on the bottom. Yeah. Um, we started. I remember our last game, one game, first or second year. Yeah, uh, we we're fighting Fitzroy for bottom position on the ladder. We yeah. won it and we finished second last. Uh, so I started in a team that was uh, not the best, mm -hmm. and uh, I think four or five years later we won a premiership. Yeah, um, we were very lucky that. Uh, and all teams, all good teams have uh, an influx of good recruits. Now, we yeah. had a backbone of fellows that uh, had suffered disappointment. And so you get very hardened, mm. hardened and you become contemptuous of the opposition, mm. you know, when you continually lose and you just get a hard edge. Mm -hmm. And then we were fortunate enough to get back in those days they had zones and we were fortunate enough to get an influx of about five players, young boys, mm. that were the icing on the cake. Yep. Do you understand? Yep. The yep. icing yep. on the uh, – yeah, yeah. and so you've got this hardness underneath yep. and you've got this youthful enthusiasm of young young boys coming into the team yep. and it happened in about 1969, 70. Mm -hmm. Even some were introduced in 71 because we had a zone and we were the zone, just like I told you about we'd bring boys up, they'd play in the under-19s, yep. you know, from the local country team. Mm -hmm. And they'd go into the seconds under nines. You'd see what you got, and you mm -hmm. you, you work the whole. We had a zone, Mornington Peninsula, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mornington Peninsula, and Gippsland were Hawthorne zone. So you'd work the zone, and that's how Hawthorne did it. And those boys would, you know, if they accepted the opportunity, they went on in '71. You know, they won a Premier so They won a Premier well with the amount of wins for the. Yeah, well, you've done your research. We won a 19 yeah. game yeah. from a very ordinary team yeah. that because uh, you're close to the bottom that you. Well, we we didn't we finished outside the what was called the four, yeah, uh, sixth or seventh, and the following year we won nineteen home and away games plus the games we played interstate and over in Perth, and I think we won about twenty twenty five games. Might have lost two for the season. That's incredible. So that what a turnaround. So the, the, you talk about the hard hardness from the team from going through those experiences, and then the talent. The, so the hardness was the most important element. That's like the foundation. Well, no, you need, you need a combination of both. Yeah. You, you know, you need the flair, yeah. uh, but you need the hardness. So, you know, uh, the old guys kept the young ones in line, didn't mm. let them get above themselves because they're very, very good. And what you find in a lot of cases, it goes to the boys' heads. You get exposed, you come down, and all of a sudden you're a star. Yeah. Well, you've got to keep, you know, you've got to keep your feet on the ground. Well, the old boys had been through it. And you know, knock the edges off them, and yep. oh, you, you know, if you, if you were getting out of line or a little bit ahead of yourself, you were pulled back into line. Yep. And uh, so that was that, and and so much so that seventy one team the following year they didn't make the finals, and uh, a number of those players, the old boys, played in the reserve grade premiership. So it's an interesting lesson that you can get yourself up. It's always mm. been an interesting lesson to me if you really want to achieve especially in the game of football, which I played, you can achieve if you re if you really, really want it, Yeah. okay? Because there was a, not the most talented team 
uh, and they couldn't make the finals the following year. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. And what was like John Kennedy like as a coach? Uh, he was very basic, uh, but I don't believe any coach, um, you know, his philosophy didn't change from when we were on the bottom and, and when yeah. we were a senior team right through. Yep. So it really does come back to the players you've got. Mm. Now, all coaches say the same thing. Unless you're not a creditable coach, creditable in, in your philosophy or doesn't make sense, you have got to have the players. You've mm. got to have the talent, mm. and that comes back to the players. Mm. So the coaches are very, very dependent on the talent that they've got. And you mentioned that want and, and desire to, to be successful. Did you guys do anything different in the off-season, pre-season as a, as a playing group? Like, well, back then. Before that year? Well, back then you had to appreciate what Melbourne was like. It was a very insular uh, place, Melbourne. I lived in the eastern suburbs. I knew everything about the eastern suburbs into the city because I'd travelled to work, but I knew nothing about the, the southern suburbs, Brighton. I'd get lost, and I still get lost down there. I don't know anything about my little area, yeah. Essendon or whatever else. Yeah. So when we played against other teams in, you know, in the VFL, mm. As a learned academic said to me, it was who played with me, mm. Wilson, uh, said it was like we're going to war every every Saturday. Yeah, so right. when you go to war every Saturday, it's them against us. Yeah, and so your camaraderie is built up amongst your teammates. So away from playing football, yeah. we mix socially. Yeah, so you you built up a camaraderie as well as having this football ability. And each team was basically the same. We never mixed or talked with other teams. Yep. You know, we stayed in our – but this is what Melbourne was like, very insular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and that, and that helped drive. So the social element's really important for the success. Well, back then, well, I think so. Yeah. You know, I see it quite amazingly now, you know, guys coming off the ground, they're all having a chat to, their, to the opposition. Yeah, now, yeah. maybe they played together in the under-18 somewhere. You know, or they've been at that club, or you know, and they all have a hug, hug and a kiss. I'm like, well, geez, we never did that. I mean, it was war. Yeah. You know, when we went they're out there, take something from you. Beg your pardon. They're the opposition. Well, you're going out there to basically hurt somebody. Yeah. You know, and whether it be fit, you know, physically, mm. and so it's very hard to do that if you if you're yeah. friendly with somebody. But yeah. this is this is what it was like, and that's the way society was. Yeah. If anyone's thinking about uh, joining the Prepare Like Pro Academy, I definitely recommend it ever since I've joined it a few months ago. I feel so much more motivated, more fitter, more stronger, more supportive as well. Some of the things he gets you, gets you doing is great for building up your capacity, muscle mass, injury prevention, everything you could need that you wouldn't even think of if you were making up your own plan. So Jackie's a nice fellow, he knows knows what he's doing, just flick him a message, he'll get you set up, no worries. He might even get you on to a few giveaways, a few free trials. Yeah, I definitely recommend it. You were a leader in your um, playing career as well. Was that something that you worked towards? Like you talked about your mindset with things that you were focusing on and how you would get better in that space, or did it come to you, you know, the players voted you as captain and that's something? No, 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 the players never, no. Players never voted me as captain. Yeah, uh, that was made by that decision was made by the committee yep. of the football club, and uh, no, no players never voted uh, on that day. The, the administration voted cap the captain. Yeah, and why do you think they selected yourself? I think it was just the fact that I was the oldest player. I'd come through the system, and uh, you know, I was vice captain, and you know, as time evolved, I finished up being an, an elder and. 
that's how it was passed on, I yep. think. Yeah, and then for leaders, captains that you'd had in previous years, whether you're supporting them as vice-captain or, or before being a vice-captain, what do you think successful leadership is about for team success? I think it, no matter what, well, depends on the area, Yeah, the area you're in, whether it be football or business or whatever. Yeah. I think you've got to have credibility. Mm-hmm. I think you've really got to have credibility and uh, um, and you know each role in leadership is different depending on the sphere that you're in. Mm-hmm. It's very and and just to say, can't blush. This is the way leaders should be. I don't think that's the case. Yeah. Um, different things, different things for different situations. I think it may be a classic, and I don't know terribly much about history, but it fascinated me that, for example, Winston Churchill was. Uh, a leader, the Prime Minister of England through the Second World War. Now, mm. um, I don't know how good a leader he was, but he was certainly inspirational in the way he t- spoke mm. to the uh, English population when they were facing the German army and being invaded. Yeah. Yet, Attlee took over as soon as the war was over. Attlee took over as Prime Minister. Mm. Now, that fascinates me. So, from that, I think different leaders for different situations. Yeah. And, and do you have like when you were appointed captain, did you lean on mentors on how to take on that no, role or did you just no, go your own way? Just did my own thing. Yeah. I think if you can't be yourself, if yeah. you mightn't be a leader. You know, you be yourself and you, you mightn't measure up. Well, you're not a leader. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, you know, if you do whatever the job may be, whether you're in media or whether you're in your own job, you be yourself. And if you're not good enough, we'll find something you're good enough at yeah. and, and pursue that. Yeah. You know, don't try and achieve something you're not and don't try and be somebody else that you're not. Yeah. You're not true to yourself. Yeah. And then feedback, like you, you mentioned how you would take on feedback as it was constructive and then you you would use that from people that you respected mm. to get better. How would you give feedback to players that were looking up to you and that sort of thing? Well, um, I said, oh, well, I've been in my case, I said, well, if you're talking about football, I thought, yeah. Yeah, for football. Uh, for football, well, I trained hard, yeah. harder than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tried to cover all aspects so I could, you know, and I wasn't the best at everything, like endurance running, sprinting or whatever, but I was certainly up in the top group. Yeah. Strength-wise, I, you know, I did all of that stuff and I really did work on my skill. Mm-hmm. So I believed in that way, you know, you, you set the example for the others. I'm not one to sit down and talk. Mm. And so, and encourage because I think once you've got to start and talk and encourage people, they've got a weakness in their character anyway. Yeah. And you, you just in a in a game of football. Yeah. You know, it's uh, and so you've got to win your stripes in a football team as I had to, and you've got to be accepted by the group, and uh, that's only done by your performances. And you, as an individual, have got to come to terms with that yourself. Then you're accepted by the group, and you you're accepted by playing games regularly and whatever else. Uh, yeah. But there is a, it's a unique thing unless you've experienced it. There's that kind of alienation by the group until you prove yourself to the group, then they accept you, and that initiation is then passed on. Yeah. It's certainly in my time. Yeah, that no, makes a lot of sense. And, and like you said, that, that that's what builds credibility, isn't it? The fact that you well, yeah. you know, lead by example. Um, what about in terms of, uh, team success. When when could you get a sense that you, you're going to win a premiership that year? Once you you couldn't, you couldn't win. No, you only look to to the following week. Yeah, um, that's the way I was brought up. It was interesting when Alan Jeans came to the club that he said, "Oh, we've got to win 13 games." Now I I just couldn't relate to that. 
you know, that we've got 13 games will get us into the final. Well, mm. we're going to lose this game or I think we can win these games, you know. Picking now, up. you know, whereas prior to that, from like 15 or 16, you know, whatever period it was, you know, we just look at the next week. Let's yeah. win next week. Yeah. Okay, we've won next week. Let's look at the next week. Mm. Okay, let's look at tr- next t- Tuesday's training. We've got Wednesday night training. Let's not get above ourselves. We've got next week's game, which is on Saturday. That's what we're going, aiming for. Focus what's in front of you. Just look, look after what you can control, yep. which is this coming week and this game that's here. Yeah. Let's try and win that game. Yep. Okay? So that's the way we'd look and just building block on building block and slowly you hope that, to get to the top. Yeah. Yeah. So until you're literally in the week of grand final, you wouldn't, oh, wouldn't spend right. too much time and energy on No, not at all. Yep. Not at all. Having won and lost grand finals, mm. no, you can't. It comes to, back to the day as well. Mm. You know, until that, it's a cliche, until that siren goes, you never know when you've won a grand final. My experience, there have been blowouts, yeah. but in my experience, no, there's never been a blowout. You don't know until right at the end. And we've talked about the physical side in terms of your strength training, your tactical and skill and craft, speed, endurance, and obviously football demands it all. What about the, the mental side? What what type of work would you do to get yourself prepared for a game? Was, was well, I think, as I said, mentioned earlier, you, you're conditioned that I started at this in a bottom team, and you mm. can become contemptuous mm. of the opposition, you you know, because of the fact that they're winning. Mm-hmm. And then you start to win and start to climb that sand, you know, the sand castle, and you get to the king of the castle, and uh, then they're coming at you. And I used to love it when you were at the top of the castle and they were coming at you, you'd belt them down again. Yeah. <laughs> Give it back. Give it back. Yeah. And ruck was was your soft, was your main position, primary position as a player. Was was that your favourite position? That was what you. Oh, I would have liked to have been a. So I played centre half back in an inter, uh, in an exhibition game. Yeah. Uh, at the MCG, there's a drawn grand final, I think, in '77, and Hawthorne played Richmond in a curtain raiser. Um, that was, I think, it was '77, and I played centre half back in that game. And uh, I would have liked to have played centre half back. That's your, that was your favourite. Yeah. yeah. I would have liked to have played there. It was a very easy position to me, a very easy position to play because the ball just kind of comes funneling in. Mm. Um, you know, I was tall enough, strong enough to and quick enough to play centre centre half forwards. Yeah. And I just found that a very easy position to play. And that didn't eventuate because you no. were so good at the ruck? Well, I don't know about so good at the ruck, but you get pigeonholed. Occasionally yeah. I go to centre half forward uh, and and – Alan Martello would go into the ruck. Yeah. So I'd kind of go to centre half forward on occasions. Yeah. And what about your biggest challenges as a player? Um, and what did you learn from them? Biggest challenges as a player? Um, well, when you're not gifted uh, and you're working all the time, everything's a challenge. Mm. To me, I can't. I didn't see any funny side of football. There was nothing humorous about football at all. Mm. Um, you know, you had to, well, I certainly steal, steal myself for every game that I, I played because I had to perform and uh, I didn't find them very enjoyable at all. Uh, you probably look back and you look at your – the only thing you look at now is your achievements and mm. we did achieve. So that's all I get satisfaction out of is that we did achieve. Yeah. And uh, so that's the 
that's what I take out of it. Yeah, so there's always challenges in front of you. There's not there, one. There that, there's not one that's like stands out, and you just no, constantly no. work on getting better. No, and as long as you're getting success, then you just stay on that sort of path. Well, yes, but you you'll tweak you'll tweak it. You know, you might be having success, but how can I do this better? What can I do? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're constantly analysing and looking. Mm-hmm. And you know, as an individual, you've had a lot of accolades with awards, and then also team success. What would be your main highlight when you look back at your career? Well, see, this is where we're wrong with the guard. It's a, it's not an individual sport, football, and I'd, I've never subscribed to individual success. Mm-hmm. You know, the media or the club, they have best and fairest and all that. I don't think you're starting to break the team ethos down or culture down. It's what the team does achieve. And, mm-hmm. and to share that with a group of fellows and to achieve there's got it. There is. I can tell you. There's just brutal honesty amongst a group. Real brutal honesty that we can take up. We don't see one another for a period of time. You know, the the only common factor is we we're good at football or this particular sport. We come from diverse diverse lives and life, You know, outside of football, and we're all different. But when we get together, especially the successful teams, not the ones that weren't successful. Mm-hmm. But there is a real, real honesty, and we just take off, and it's closer than than family right. in a lot of cases. With, with winning premierships as a team, well, winning premier to get to, to achieve that, yeah. there's got to be a real basic honesty amongst the group, yeah. and uh, and you've got to take what they tell you. Uh, you know, it's not mm. nice out on the ground if you do, and they're playing for you know we're playing for sheep stations, and so it's pretty brutal what's said amongst. It amongst the group and you've got to take it. If you're wrong mm. and you get a serve from your teammate, not the coach, the teammate, yeah. you've got to take it and you get on with it. Yeah. Yeah. And do you guys as as team with premierships catch up every five oh, years? Oh, we do all the team. time and yeah. it's amazing as we're getting older how how much closer we do, especially in our case, at, mm. you know, the guys that I played with, we do still talk and, uh, yeah, it's an amazing camaraderie we've got. Mm. And then um, – you you took on coaching post career. Yes. What what was the focus with that? Was that something you wanted to play around with and try, or take us through sort of your mindset when you wanted? Yeah, to that's an interesting one. Uh, I went to Adelaide. Yeah. Um, you know, I was doing commentary and whatever else. I suppose it was an egotistical thing. Um, and you had some, you know, obviously great coaches, Dave Park and yeah, all Joel of that. And yeah, all yeah. Um, I was pretty hard. I took football very seriously. So. Um, and I can see, you know, with the mistakes I made when I went coaching, uh, but I wouldn't do anything differently because that's just me. Yeah. I suppose the most satisfying thing I got when I did go coaching was Sorrento, coaching Sorrento under-18s. Yeah. As a man or a mentor said to me, you know, it's all very well playing your professional sport, which was football where you're mm. receiving money and, and whatever else for it, and it's a business, mm. but go back to what football is really about, and it's out in the suburbs. Mm. And the most satisfaction I got was when I went and coached the Sorrento under-18s. For the first time in my life, I'd given back to football. And why Sorrento? What was the connection? Well, I, I, I lived down there, yeah. um, and so I needed – I didn't have a thirds an under-18 team. Yep. I had a seniors and a reserve grade team, but they were forfeiting every week, mm. not being able to put a thirds together. Mm-hmm. So my son happened to be at that age coming through, so I got involved. And, um, yeah, that was probably the most satisfied two years, the most satisfying thing 
in football is that I gave back to football. Yeah, that's great. And you talked about that earlier in the you know in the podcast how passionate you are about that age because it was a critical age for yourself as a footballer. Um, so that, you know what with those memories and doing that for two years, did you? Why did you stop? Is it something that you felt like you've given back now and now? It's I thought it was so you ha- you have a limited time. Yeah, and uh, I think you should. You know, in my case, you know, we played in a grand final in, in, in our second year. We missed out. Mm. We came from absolutely nowhere. There wasn't a team two years prior in the, in the second year they played in a grand final, and that team happened to be the backbone of Sorrento's success five years later in the seniors. Yeah. And so give somebody else a chance. The philosophy was set as to how we structure this. And then somebody else can take over and do it. Yeah. And you talked about business and how you're involved in it from 22. Um, you know, you're instrumental in the uh, preventing Hawthorne from merging with Melbourne in the mm-hmm. mid 90s. Um, why did you take on that role and, and, and talk us through sort of your, that campaign? Well, the reason I took it on was uh, I used to, I was commentating for Channel 7. I used to do special comments, and uh, prior to a game, I would ring the particular clubs that I was commentating on for that week mm-hmm. and find out a little bit of information about the players. And I remember talking to Graham Allen, Gubby Allen, uh, Collingwood, had the Collingwood game that week, and he just mentioned about something about Hawthorne merging with, um, or there was some talk. You know, just, yeah, it, yeah. it was just a bit of a whisper. This yeah, is in right. football circles. Yeah. It wasn't out there. Yeah. And then on the Sunday, it just happened to be that all premiership players that had ever played for Hawthorne had a photograph uh, taken at Glenfrey Oval, were all in white shirts, and every player that had played in the premiership team was a huge photograph out on Glenfrey Oval. And there was a bit of a an article about the third page, a little paragraph about Hawthorne or a merge or something. And from there, and I remember Mick Porter, who was a teammate in 71, said, geez, I think they're going to merge. And yeah. from that, it just started to roll, and uh, I felt, a little insulted that I was wasn't given the opportunity the opportunity to say hey Hawthorne we're in trouble as yeah. a team financially we're cash struck we're not profitable uh, I wasn't given that opportunity to say yes I'd like to help mm. and I was like one of nine thousand ten thousand members yeah. who, who weren't consulted yeah. the various committees or the administrations were doing a deal without thinking of the members yeah. they're not the football club yeah. The members are the football club, and I just felt that. And so whether we won or lost mm. the merge, um, were what we tried to do, the people were given the opportunity, and it was structured in such a way that if you wish to put money in and the, and the, uh, the campaign wasn't successful, it was guilty, you would get your money back. So if you put your $100 in, your name was taken and whatever else, and if we weren't successful, that money would go back to you. It wouldn't go to a yeah. new entity. Yeah, Do you yeah. understand? Yeah, it's great. Really fair. So I thought, and so the people were given that opportunity and we raised, uh, you know, a million dollars in in yeah. so many weeks. Famous check, isn't it? A, yeah, yeah, to uh, save off the merger. Yeah. And so uh, that's an inspiring story. So it's, it's almost like you became, you know, that's that's real leadership. Uh, speaking oh, I don't think it's re- leadership. You're dealing with emotion. Yeah. All that had to be, you just had to set a very simple thing. And mm. there was the simplicity of it. Mm. You know, they need money. That's the bottom line. They need money. Yeah. And we're going to give you a program whereby you donate. We will, you know, if it's not successful, the money goes back. So you've got your opportunity. If you 
I don't care whether the place exists or not. It's no skin off my nose, but you're given an opportunity yeah. to save your football club if you wish to. Yeah. And so it was very simple to me. Yeah. And you're riding on emotion. And these ideas and, and put, putting together this campaign, did, were you working solely with yourself or did you have a bit of a no, team? No, no, no. I certainly had a team. Yeah. Certainly had a team. I My experience was in the media. Yeah. Um, you know, I had exposure through the media. I was working at Channel 7 and other things. Mm. And so I knew how that side of it worked and how and what happened behind the scenes and how they played the game, the AFL played the game and who they aligned. And, mm-hmm. you know, you get you wouldn't get favourable reports from some people, yet you would the others. I just, the conspiracy behind the whole thing. So yeah. you knew how that worked. Yeah. Then there was, you know, the administrative side. That was delegated out. You know, there were four people that I consulted, you know, mm-hmm. talked to, mm-hmm. and I did my thing, they did their thing, and, you know, I had another fellow, Leon Rice, who was uh, played with, he was the exact opposite to me, so mm-hmm. when I'd express a view, he'd put a view. If we got halfway, I thought that was the right way to go, so it wasn't my view, if that makes sense yeah, to yeah, me. Yeah. It was a compromise. Yeah, yeah. And the players like Derby Baron got involved, and um, how much support did you get from the well, no, well, well, you did well. We went to ex-players yeah. because uh, a football club demo, demands emotional and involved. Administrators are not as invested as what footballers are. When we play, when you play in a team, you've got to give emotionally, and so it was basically made up of ex-players. Yeah, you know, because of the fact that that's best, what they require. Yeah, yeah, people don't understand why when players leave a club, I don't think so now because they seem to just transfer and go wherever. Uh, they don't seem to have that emotional attachment. They certainly did back then. And so these people, and they were all basically ex-players who, who were the, um, you know, the catalyst, not the catalyst, well, they were there, but, the, the, you know, they were looking after the main roles of PR, administration and whatever else. Yeah. And then supporters came in and helped, you know, we knew had a workforce. Yeah. And that media side, like working with Channel 7, commentary how did that come about like did that, was that just you got some opportunities obviously rose to those opportunities and it just sort of built up momentum or was it something you were intending on yeah well, i suppose when you come out just like any player as soon as a player with a with a, i don't know an image or a reputation or whatever else comes out mm. if you come out of the retire at the right time and there's a there's nobody you know of comparable or statue or whatever else you're given that time is it yeah. just keeps on right yeah. happening in the media constantly new players coming out old ones seem to go out the other end of the media and everybody yeah. has a use by date in the media yeah. constantly being replaced so i got an opportunity and uh you know christopher christopher scase back in that heady days of the 80s where companies were going berserk in in australia taking and acquiring scase acquired Channel 7. They got the football back, I think, from either the ABC or Channel 10 or somebody, and uh, he launched a huge, you know, had, you know, and then the football started to go national, and so there were about eight commentators, and mm. we just fly around Australia commentating the games, Perth, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne. Yeah, awesome. So that was in the 80s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll go to this the, the personal side of the uh, podcast, so a bit of a get-to-know-Don-Scott as a person other than the professional media football horse mm. lover. Um, so what what's your favourite life motto and uh, or motivational quote? What's something that's... Oh, I, I don't... I'm not into anything. I'm, that Nothing along that line is, inspires me. I yeah. don't... 
you know, I wake up tomorrow and uh, I look forward to that day. Well, I don't, I always plan ahead of what I'm doing. I've trained horses, show jumping, so I'm looking at the show that's coming up in a month's time. So I've got to get the horses right for that. I don't look at what happened yesterday. Yeah. You know, do what you got to do today. If you're doing something now, do it to the best of your ability so you don't have to go back and correct those faults. That's, yeah. But you look ahead to what's happening. Don't look back. Yeah. And what about movie, book, or TV series that has impacted you the most? <laughs> well, there's one film that I, I find it fascinating, and I don't mind admitting it. Mm. It's um, one with Julia Roberts and uh, Richard Gere, where she plays the prostitute. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Who, uh, yeah. What, what, what was yeah, that? I've, I've, I've watched that so many times. Well, in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. I don't know that. I don't know the title, but every time that comes on, you know that just that gets me. the The businessman who takes on the on the on the prostitute needs a girl yep. to go out for the day. Yeah, um, I forget the name of it, yep. but that film. Yep. yep. So there's a trashy film for you. Yeah, yeah. And um, what about your um, like? What's what makes you angry? What are your pet peeves from a professional point of view? Um, peeves. Um, yeah, I, I don't have many because um, I don't really get close to too many people mm-hmm. uh, people seem to disappear i have high expectations of myself mm. and i find it very frustrating when people don't live up maybe that's a fault of mine mm. that i set goals that i consider maybe i'm hard on myself but if people don't measure up i, I just can't be bothered with them so yeah. i don't really associate with too many people yeah so you basically you've got your standards and your mm-hmm. folk, things that you're focusing on and people can come along for the ride, or they can yeah, do what they do. Yeah, but a lot, you don't not get... too many, not too many people come along for the ride. Let me uh, tell you. Yeah, that's why you went with horses. <laughs> well, you can give to you can give to young children yeah. under the age of five, and you can give to animals. Yeah, and they give you back unconditionally. Yeah, do you understand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you're cruel to an, an animal, especially a horse or any animal, they will not respond, my friend. Let me tell you. And what you see in young kids, they sum you up very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, what about this? Is these two are COVID free worlds? Favorite way to spend a day off? What do you like to do? Oh, I don't have a day off. Yeah. Well, what would be? Your, uh, no, I, I just don't. I, I do something every day. I don't yeah. know. I'm just busy. Yeah. But what would be your favorite way to spend a day? No, I haven't. There's no. I can get pleasure out of. I'll just put in a beehive at home. Yeah. Now I will go and stand there for half an hour, and I'm just fascinated with these bees coming in. Uh, you know, I've seen them come, how they reconnoitre, go out scouting their hierarchy, how they don't crash, they don't seem to fight, but they just, they fascinate me. So yeah. I'm fascinated and interested in anything, you know. That, yeah, so I haven't got, oh, go down to the beach for the day. Isn't it fantastic? No, it doesn't work. Yeah. And what about um, where would you like to go for a holiday in the world? Where's your I've done it. I think I've just about done it. I was fascinated with Europe. Yep. I've done Europe. Uh, America's like Australia got natural history, mm. but I I was fascinated and still am about uh, the history of people that have gone before us, uh, especially in Europe. Um, and I, and I just ceases to amaze me what people have achieved, and we don't give them credit mm. for what they've achieved in the past. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's great. You hey, lived a full life. It's been great to uh, have you on the podcast and share your journey and your and your story and philosophy for life um, from a whether it be performance in media you know athletic pursuits with football business whatever it is so no doubt 
I've taken a lot from it, but as well as the listeners and those watching the live chat. Um, what's on the horizon for you? What are you excited about for, for the rest of 2021? Well, I've got two horses at home. Yeah. I hope we can get out from COVID and start and compete. Yep. Um, they look like they're going all right. Um, so where are they? where's the next competition? Well, I don't know. We're, you know, we're sort of in COVID. Yeah, exactly right. I don't know what, how they're going to open. There are shows planned, but whether we can do it is another thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're up in the air as everybody. You've got to be double vaxxed and whatever else. I mean, you know, what we've gone through, I think we'll look back in this in years to come and say, how the hell did we ever go yeah. get through this? I, I just cannot believe that Melbourne has gone through and it, we've experienced Yet we've been numbed to it. This yeah. is the, this is the scary thing that we have been numbed into what we are experiencing. But we can only blame ourselves because we have we in a lot of cases have voted these people into power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a crazy time, and I hundred percent agree. In, in whenever whenever it's done, and we're looking back and sharing the stories, we'll be pinching ourselves of what we've uh, coped with. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks, Don. Thanks. Very it's been nice great to have you on. Yeah, thank you very much. And what's going on with the Unit Cannot Be Serious podcast as well for those that are interested in um, who are your next guests? Oh, well, it's two old blokes uh, talking shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I follow I follow uh, John Newman. He's the controller. Yeah. He's a narcissist. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so, so I'm just there. Yeah, I know my role. Yeah. Pretty good. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Don. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content, such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian at Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes. And, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or, through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the strength conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man that. Uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was you spoke quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat. Um, 
And I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it, yeah, certainly, yeah, has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's you having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and, yeah. and yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.